music artists think that the best way to promote music is by promoting music, right? And it makes sense, okay? But the thing is, is that that's a one-dimensional mentality. And the reason why I see so many music artists get so desperately caught up on thinking they have to like buy all these Spotify um, playlist placement courses and that kind of stuff is because they're looking through their music only. I just don't think, I don't think that's the best approach. It's a one-dimensional mentality. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, I'm excited to be here today with my, my friend Jason Evans. So Jason is the author of the best-selling book, The 4D Songwriter, How to Dominate the New Music Industry. He's the host of IAMN, which stands for I Am Northbound Podcast for Music Marketing. And we had a great conversation probably a week or two ago. It's a little bit tricky to navigate. Sometimes we're in a totally different time zone. For him, it's a different day um, based in uh, you know being an Aussie. But uh, one thing that I really appreciate about him was we had a great conversation just about really the core principles of like authentic fan connection and you know doing marketing in, in the right way. And obviously, yeah, especially nowadays with like social media and, and a lot of different tools, there's a lot of, maybe you call them like vanity metrics sometimes or a lot of services where it's really about you know, sort of bloating, bloating things to kind of, you know, for like ego purposes and whatnot. And one thing that um, really struck me about our conversation was that he's someone who really uh, focuses in on authentic, you know, fan connection and doing things the right way. So that's what we're going to talk about today with the 4D songwriter method. So Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. It is so cool. And yes, it's uh, been a little bit of a challenge with the time zones, but I'm really happy to be here and to be talking music marketing with you for sure. Oh uh, yeah, we made it. Sweet, man. So to start things off, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your story and kind of how you got started and how you wrote the the 4D Songwriter uh, book to get started with. Yeah, not a problem. So it's uh, usually people are pretty surprised to hear that I've never actually had a real job in my life aside from working for myself. And that all started because when I was 14, a friend asked me to teach him guitar and that led to me teaching guitar for 10 years. But on that journey, I started to write my own songs and then I taught songwriting. And because of that, I started recording my own music. And from that, I took the money that I made from guitar tuition and songwriting coaching and put it into recording equipment and then recorded my own songs just for demo purposes. And then friends band said, hey, could you record us? And that turned into me opening a recording studio eventually and working in it for 10 years. So I've always kind of been in the music industry and recording, being in the studio all the time, I was around bands all the time, recording full-time, multiple bands a week most of the time. And the conversation I, I would hear over and over again would be, or more so the question would be asked to me is like, so what do we do after it comes out? Like you're helping us recording it, but how do we actually get it heard? And I found myself genuinely not knowing the answer because I was in a band. I just always thought, I mean, the music industry changes so quickly that it was a totally industry. So totally, totally different industry 10 years ago. But I remember thinking, I don't know, you've got to kind of put that in the hands of someone that knows what they're doing, like be it a management team or a record label or something like that. Uh, but I'm not quite sure. I don't know how to self-market stuff. And I started to notice certain bands build followings online. And there were a couple of bands in particular that built huge followings online, but had never played a show. And to be honest, they were kind of like laughed at when they first did that, because they were considered by the real bands to not be a real band. And 
then all of those bands got proven wrong because these bands that built online presences had somehow cracked the code. And this is like the transition into the digital era. So it really interested me how marketing could work for music artists. Anyway, around 2012, I went through uh, my first real bout with mental health issues. And I, it was uh, pretty much rock bottom for me at the time. And I decided to start a new music project uh, after finishing my band of eight years, it was a big deal for me to call that to be finished. And I started recording this new album, but I figured that instead of writing with like boundaries up, I'd be open and authentic through my songwriting process, which meant diving deep into my mental health and uh, the issues that I was facing on that journey. And when the album came out, uh, I couldn't believe the response we got. We're a brand new band and we had a bigger launch than my previous band did. That, and we were never famous, but we had an established audience and this new band outperformed my old band, even though it was brand new. And I found that it was I, I, because I was authentic about what I spoke about. And I realized that I kind of started to understand why people were connecting with certain artists and not with others. And it was only a few months later that I got two separate messages from two different people uh, on different times completely unrelated, but both saying that my music literally saved their life because they were planning on taking theirs, but it was because of listening to my album at the last moment, it essentially changed their mind. And it just, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so much bigger than fame or vanity metrics, as you said, or anything that makes us look cool followers or whatever. I need to figure out why my album was able to do this because if I can help music artists understand this, then I can help make the world a way better place. And immediately became clear to me, which music artists are focused on themselves and fame and fortune and which ones are actually writing to benefit the lives of their listeners. And I realized that not a lot of people in the music industry are talking about the latter, like trying to create authentic differences in people's lives and seeking quality of listener over quantity. And uh, so I started, uh, it was really random how I came into this online world, but people started asking me questions of like uh, music marketing because I started to study advertising I'm in psychology, behavioral economics, and its application to the music industry, which no one else is kind of doing. So people would ask me questions and I'd be like, oh, well, this is what I'm finding in my research when I first got started. Uh, I plan to compile a small PDF that was just going to be the answers for a few people, you know, maybe 30 pages. And that in typical Jason fashion just expanded into what eventually became my first book, The 40 Songwriter, How to Dominate the New Music Industry. And along that journey, I've realized that there are so many principles rooted in primitive human psychology, but also in discovered more recently in behavioral economics studies and um, application to just sales and marketing and split tests and results from that, that can be applied to the music industry. And it all comes back down to that point of authenticity. It doesn't matter what you're studying. It comes down to that we're human and humans expect certain things and, and desire certain things. And if a music artist can shape their approach to suit those inbuilt human desires, then that, that is going to be when they succeed. And if you look to any music artist in today's day and age that is succeeding, I can trace down their success and actually like deconstruct it based on the 4D songwriter method, which I'm writing a new book at the moment that introduces a fifth dimension. So I will be saying the five dimensions because I can't help. I just, I've got it built in my mind now, but I can break it down into the five dimensions. And it's it, a lot of music artists who are struggling to get their message heard in this day and age uh, or get their music heard, need to find their message and then communicate it in the correct way. And that is what I'm here to tell people to do because that is when music artists are succeeding. Dude, that's so awesome. Well, uh, that's, that's really cool. I think that, you know, kind of coming from 
coming from an organic you know, kind of approach of, you know, over the course of, it sounds like 30 years really, that you've kind of developed yeah. your relationship to the music industry. And, and also it's really interesting how you mentioned that you, you kind of experienced this breakthrough moment where, you know, this new project and you kind of pulled back the curtain and you just were authentic and you shared, you know, the things that you're going through with, with the mental health issues. And I think that that takes a ton of courage, you know, to, to really kind of peel back curtain and to share that. Cause that's not you know, necessarily something that is easy you know, to share. I think it, it, to me, it sort of, it, it makes sense. Like it, it clicks that you having the, you know, the courage to share those kind of things is really something that could resonate with, with other people who might've been struggling with similar things. And, and also just so awesome that you were able to experience kind of like the direct impact that you know that this music made on other people's lives who were considering you know taking their own lives and, and hearing that those kinds of stories so awesome so when i first I mean, the, released that album i actually got yeah. told by several colleagues of mine that it was a bad idea they said i shouldn't go out there and be so openly authentic because well they didn't say authentic they said to be so transparent or open i guess Maybe not transparent, but you know that, that explaining that I shouldn't be so uh, revealing too much of myself to all because they said it presented uh, presents as a weakness. And but it was funny when the album came out, all of them changed their minds because I was <laughs> it wasn't just the album coming out. I was contacted by press and news and magazines and publications trying to interview me, but they didn't really so much want to talk about the album as much as they did about the message of the album, and mm -hmm. as in meaning the sound of the album, which a lot of music artists get obsessed with. But the message is obviously what led me to be here because it was what mattered. Wow. That's so interesting too. I mean, I think it seems like that fear of being fully seen or being fully recognized or like it's a, like a paradox because all of it like deep, deep down, like we want to be fully seen and fully appreciated and recognized and, and known. And at the exact same time, we have this like, deep super fear of being fully seen and recognized and known and it's probably related to some like like the fear of of death in some way but i, I can understand how there might have been people around you who are like oh like you don't do that like if you if, if you're seen then like you're, you're gonna die like they didn't say that but like you know it's sort of this like primal fear that we all sort of have of really being ourselves and being fully seen and so yeah, man, I just want to, yeah, again, encourage you or just honor you for like for having the courage to let yourself be fully seen because I think that's really rare. And, you know, the fact that you did that, not only you know, it was for yourself, but it was for, it made this impact on other people that might have saved their lives. Really awesome. So, I mean, the, the natural, uh, where I see like the conversation going is I'm super curious, you know, what are the five, <laughs> the five D's of the, the songwriting method? So I would love to just maybe go, I, I know, you know, we only have a limited time here, but I would love to, in the time that we have, just kind of to dig into your brain and, and to see what model that you've created for, for like the five, the five D's. And maybe you could start with the four D's and then you could, you kind of bridge, bridge the gap and, and talk about this fifth D and why you decided that, or why, why you, you are writing this new book and, and we can, um, delve into that a little bit for sure okay so when i first came on to write the 40 songwriter i didn't intend for it to be the 40 songwriter as i said before so when i started to realize that all these different factors and elements of a music artist uh could be split into multiple what i was referring to as dimensions i started to realize the categories that they could all fall into they all had you know their own different respective areas it's a lot of music artists will think that all they have to promote is their music and i wrote this in as a sentence in the new book music artists think that the best way to promote music is by promoting music right and it makes sense okay but the thing is is that that's a one-dimensional mentality and 
the reason why I see so many music artists get so desperately caught up on thinking they have to like buy all these Spotify um, playlist placement courses and that kind of stuff is because they're looking through their music only. Truth be told, I mean, they're a great complementary strategy, but they shouldn't be something you focus on entirely because you get everyone onto a playlist and if you dive into the behavior, it's not ideal. I could talk about that forever, but regardless, I just don't think, I don't think that's the best approach. It's a one dimensional mentality. Um, but the first dimension of uh, what I refer to as music centered movements is uh, music. You have to have good music and you have to have music that authentically communicates your creative vision to the world. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, a lot of people will overly uh, assess their music and remove things until it's almost like the audio equivalent of a hospital room. It's just too clean and it's too sterile, uh, but we'll wonder why people don't connect with it. Some of the best music in history has blemishes left in it. Like when Sting sat down on the piano at the start of Roxanne, like that adds to the sound of it, which a lot of people aren't aware of. But if you go listen to the start of that song, you hear him sit on the piano, then laugh in the background. Little things like that make us human. It's the reason why people prefer analog over digital, blah, blah, blah. So essentially you need to create music that, that effectively and efficiently communicates your creative vision to the world and moves your listener in the way you want to move them emotionally. Once you have that, you've got the first dimension. The second dimension of the four dimensions when I first wrote them is the personality dimension. And a lot of people think that this just means being out there and being a person in front of people. And it does to an extent, but it specifically can be divided into two sub elements of the dimension called your story and your motivation. Your story is everything up until this day that led you on this journey to write the music you write. And your motivation is how, what motivates you to write into the future. Story will tell people why they should join you on your journey join your movement and move forward with you. But the uh, motivation will be where the vehicle that will transport them to a better future. And politicians, uh, you know, any form of influencer, even like cult leaders have used this to grow their audience, like historical figures, you know, people leading people into war, uh, you know, people just controlling people, whatever, they all use this similar method. And it's the, what the big music artists are doing too. If you have a great story, uh, but no motivation, then people are going to trust you, but they won't want to jump on board or have no reason to follow you because they don't know where you're going to lead them. But if you have a great motivation, but no story, people won't have built enough trust with you yet to know that you could lead them to the future they want to get to. So you need those two things sorted. Then the third dimension in the 4D songwriter is branding. And it's everything to do with your content strategy, how you actually release things to the world. Uh, and the fourth dimension was lifestyle. And that was essentially... Uh, not your lifestyle, but the lifestyle of your listeners and specifically thinking outside of your music. And it was the first time I introduced raw psycho uh, psychology to its application to essentially persuasion, the psychology of persuasion, persuasion, sorry, for your audience and the way to implement it. And it was because of this dimension that I realized I was just kind of scratching the surface and I knew it was much deeper, which is why I started writing the new book. Uh, in the new book, the five dimensions are music, just as I explained, personality, just as I explained. I've broadened branding to be materials because it's much more than just the content you create. It's understanding the psychology of why you're creating the content and how to speak to people aligning with things like cognitive processing fluency, which is just how easy a message is received from someone, how to speak to their internal desires. It's the way you communicate uh, through your content. And then the lifestyle dimension has been broadened to culture. And it's about how you establish the, uh, I, I jokingly refer to it as culture, like how you, the cult of your audience and how you grow that and the movement that you are, but how you communicate, how your audience operates, how to make your listeners feel expensive when they listen to your music, which is the secret of the biggest music artists. And then lastly, the new dimension after the other ones have been kind of a little bit reworked to be more inclusive and also provide 
better information is operations. And it's just about how you actually day-to-day conduct yourself, how money comes in, how you run things, uh, the back end of the business, so to speak. But if you put those five dimensions together, you have a multi-dimensional approach and multifaceted way of bringing people to begin their journey into what I introduced through the book as my concept of a listen path, which is the journey from a brand new listener discovering you to eventually becoming a committed true fan. And you step them through four stages on that journey. And these dimensions will be what fuels people to move up that path to eventually commit to you long-term. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast, or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two-week trial to our music mentor coaching program. And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're going to get access to our entire music mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're gonna have our Music Mentor Spotlight series. And that's where we're gonna bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now. And one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Music Mentor and and maybe the most valuable is that you're gonna have this this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you wanna take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, From there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast for the show. Um, So don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. Super cool. Yeah, I I love it. And like whenever I I hear something like that, like a framework or a model, I'm I always am really excited to kind of dig into it because I I feel like, you know, we all, (laughs) you probably really relate to this just like with behavioral, like, you know, it sounds like psychology, whatnot, that we all have like our own map for reality and reality is one thing. And it's like this thing that changes over time. It's like, but the map is not the territory, but we all have different maps for sort of explaining the territory. And so it sounds like you know, you've constructed like a really cool map and a way, a framework for understanding, you know, how to be successful as an artist, which is really helpful. And I think having multiple different uh, frameworks in your tool belt that you can kind of, you can you cross-reference between other other ones is just super awesome. So so there's that. And it sounds like there's another framework for like the listener path that I, I'm definitely excited to dig into. Before we dig into that one, maybe we can go into just like one of the five dimensions that you feel like is the one that's maybe most relevant or the one that most people are kind of struggling with that whoever might be listening to this right now as a musician could, you know, kind of use like a little bit more uh, depth with going into. What do you say is kind of like the one of, of the five dimensions if we only had time to go into one that you think would be most relevant to uh, musicians right now? 
Well, it's definitely not the sexiest dimension because a lot of people want to hear that creating content and getting things out there and dominating social media and playlisting and all that kind of stuff. It's not going to be the materials dimension. The best dimension that I recommend everyone start at is the personality dimension. Have you ever seen a movie? I'm sure you have where it doesn't start at the beginning. It starts like a little bit in and then you go back and you watch the beginning. That's essentially what it is for music artists. It's not that you start with your music, then move into the personality dimension. You've built your music. Now you need to go back to the start of the movie and watch out how, what caused you to write that music. It's not so much creating your motivation as it is discovering your motivation. What actually is the reason that you write music for the in the first place? It's already in your music. And I talk about diving into your lyrics and summarizing what all your songs are about then creating statements that summarize all of them together. So you can say, I wrote my music for these type of people that are struggling with this specific issue. And for me personally, back in the day was I write, I'm writing my music for uh, people who have just come out of long-term relationships because that's what had happened to me and that's what led me into my depression at that age who are struggling with um, finding themselves and you know discovering whatever I could say in better words but I'm making it off the top of my head and that would allow me to then realize that that's who my album was for so then I'm only should be interested in finding those people so many music artists are aiming for the masses and trying to get mass exposure but it, the, the general population won't care about your movement. It's but one specific section of the audience, I'm sorry, of the population will care immensely. And that are, those are the people you can change the lives of. There's no point getting tons of new fans in if they're going to forget about you in two weeks time because they don't really connect with what you do. Yet, if you get someone in that connects with your message, now you don't have to push your music in their face all the time. You can get a message in front of their face. I'll tell you a great example of this. There was an artist that I used as like a bit of a research case study and we found that his motivation after diving into specifically what he's all about, he found that he wanted to show people through his music that even though you've been through, uh, he was in the mental health space as well. Uh, and this, I should just say as a side note, it doesn't have to be such an emotionally charged reason. It, there's, you have a negative emotion that drives people, even if they go to clubs and listen to dance music, they're trying to find escapism. So you got to find what your listeners are really looking for and then market that toward them. Because I did that with a DJ. We changed his marketing message to escapism and his stats went up. It was crazy. You're just going to find what your listener wants. But with uh, this artist I'm talking about, Mark, he actually had a... Um, he was in the uh, mental health space and he, he wanted to show, he had a message so that wanted to show people even like you want to show people so that no matter what you've been through, you, you aren't damaged by your past essentially. And we started workshopping different messages and we ended up coming up with the line being damaged is beautiful. And that's all it was. And mm. he was trying for ages to promote his music just by itself. And no one really cared because to be honest, if you do that, you're just one of a million trillion music artists out there why is your music so special? And it's such a harsh truth to hear, but no one cares about you unless they already care about you. So how do you get them to care about you in order to check out your music? It's so easy for a music artist to say, oh, it's just three minutes or four minutes of their time. Why can't they listen to my music? But obviously what you're asking them to do is too big of an ask. So how do you make that ask smaller? Well, you attract them and their own natural curiosity by speaking to their internal conversation. So that's getting probably a little bit um in depth, but essentially what we did was, is that we changed, we changed Mark's uh, strategy from, instead of just being like, listen to my new song, we just put up a single picture. He put it on Instagram ads and Facebook ads. It was just a picture of him with the words being damaged is beautiful written across his face and his body. It looked really arty and it covered it, but the ad didn't tell anyone to do anything. It had no CTA, the call to action. It didn't try to tell anyone to go check anything out. It just was that that's all it was. And any marketer will say that's a terrible ad because you have no thing to drive. There's no offer. There's nothing to drive the audience to. 
but you're not trying to drive people. You're trying to stoke curiosity because curiosity breeds anticipation, which creates positive feedback loops and people seek out a way to solve that by themselves. So curiosity will drive people to move toward action. So, so we ran this ad and we found that his original ads that were just trying to get people to click through to his music and listen on Spotify, barely anyone did. He put it in front of a lot of people and the, the conversion rate was so small of getting people to like actually listen to his tracks. However, when we ran the ad of him just standing there with the words being damaged is beautiful and targeted at people that likely have shown some form of interest in or an alignment with mental health related, you know, they, they probably are people going through mental health issues. We found that people were not only, and remember every single conversion they do is impressive considering that no one would do even one, which was going to Spotify to listen to his music before. People were not only clicking through on his ad to go to his Instagram profile, they were then clicking follow and not only clicking follow, they then stay on his page and like several posts. So they check more things out. And then not only that, we'll click the Spotify link in his bio without even being asked to, and we'll go to his Spotify and listen to multiple songs. Like by comparison, that's like seven or eight conversions compared to like different ones compared to one that he couldn't get before. And if that doesn't prove that message forward marketing or what I call motivation forward marketing isn't more efficient than trying to slam your music in people's faces, then I don't know what is. But he wasn't a big artist. He just found the message that spoke to his core audience and it would build enough curiosity, generated enough to move them forward to where they wanted to be, which is to follow him and go, I, I feel this way. He's writing music for people like me. I have a headache and he's providing the solution to that headache, the headache tablet. I need to find more information out. This is different to every other music artist. Yet, if you just promoted his music, maybe those same people saw that ad and were like, I have no reason to care about this guy. So the personality dimension is absolutely the most essential because it is the absolute nucleus of your creative uh, journey. It's what you try to bring to life in your music. You're now just bringing it to life through words and through other ways. And as soon as you unlock that, you unlock so many other ways to grab the attention of highly compatible listeners that stand the best chance of becoming true fans and helping them on their journey to get started. Uh, music, once they've built that initial, have that initial reason, is what they then check out next. But if you're trying to push music first, you're going to struggle. Hmm. That's, that's so interesting. Yeah, so, <clears throat> so it sounds like what you're saying is that, you know, especially nowadays where it's, it's so easy to distribute your music and get it out and record yourself. There's so much music that, you know, it's in order to stand out. Really, at this point, the music you're going to be better served by figuring out a sharp point, a sharp edge to kind of cut through the the threshold of, of attention. And one of the best ways to do that is by really clarifying and refining what is your core message that identifies with, you know, the fans like and helping them to identify themselves. That's really interesting too. Like how did you put it exactly? So, you know, I write music for blank who are struggling with blank or what was yes, it exactly? Yes, that's it. Yeah. So you say, I, I you look at your music and go, if I had to summarize this song up into one single sentence, you would say, I wrote this song for this group of people who are struggling with this type of issue. And if you want to do it for a full release, you do that for every song, then start to cross out ones if they're the same and then group similar ones and start to create smaller group statements. Like I wrote these songs for this group of people. So if, I mean, this is difficult to do. Think of the examples off the top of my head, but say you've got heartbroken people and lonely romantics, you might summarize them with a single word that summarizes both of them who are struggling with losing their loved one or moving on. And then it's like relationship issues or something like that, you know, like to summarize it a bit more. And then you do that and then start to create it. It's, it takes a little bit of time, but then you end up doing that for multiple groups. And it might get tricky depending on how broad your songwriting, like what you write about in your lyrics is. But usually for most music artists, because it all comes back to one shared commonality, if that's the right way to say it, which is you, 
you're always writing because it all comes back to you. So you've got to find out what the common sentence is that you have. And then once you do that, you're able to then know exactly how to speak to people. I mean, here's another one too. There's a good little framework or template I would use for promoting stuff is all you have to do is when you promote your music out there, if you want to promote music, which if you've got an audience who's already curious is great because you've got people ready to listen. You don't just go, here's my new song. You say, have you ever felt like this? Yeah, me too. That's why I wrote this song because I really wanted to help you, blah, blah, blah. So that's all you have to do. Not in those exact words, but even if you say something like, so the other day I was feeling, and then use words that you know that your listeners will relate to and go, you've already said in that single sentence, have you felt like this? And I have too. So you don't have to use it in two separate sentences, but just use that as a standard template. If you want to, have you ever felt like you never can fit in, in the world and everything's too difficult? Yeah. I've once felt that way too. Here's a little story about why I felt that way. And that's why I wrote this brand new song. Cause I really wanted to help you feel better in whatever better looks like to them. And that you can use that over and over again when you release music and your listeners who can resonate with your message, they don't just see the first time. Cause think about how someone's scrolling through their feed, just new content, random video advertisement. And they see your post. If it's listened to my latest song, they, it might be difficult for them to do that because not every back in the day, I mean, I'm getting older now, but if you sent someone a song, they're sitting at a desktop computer, they probably could listen to it. Now people are on their phones, they're out in public. They probably can't listen to their music as easily. But if you hit them with the message first and they see something saying, have you ever felt like this? And they're like, yeah, I have. And without diving into the psychology, that allows them to feel connected to the sentence through cognitive processing fluency. And they were like, well, now I'm involved in reading this and it's caught their attention. So they go, well, yeah, I, I have. And it's like, you have too. Well, we're like each other. And studies have shown that we are attracted to those that are similar to us. And you go, I've written this song because I really want you to feel and whatever better and a more ideal future looks like to them. And they're like, oh, well, I, I've got to check this out now. So then they'll make time to listen to your music, even if they're not available, to, able to do it then genuinely, they might not be able to listen to it. They might save it. They might set a reminder, but they go, I've got to check this out when I can. And they will, because now they're driven to find out if they can connect with you on that level. And the idea of fans chasing music artists is something that all music artists dream of, but we haven't really seen since when music was far less saturated, where people were like, I want new music and supply versus demand. It's, it's totally lopsided these days, but it's message first. And if people go on social media to find connection, that's it. Negative emotional drivers are the reason behind everything. And the reason people go on social media is for multiple different reasons. Facebook messenger might be because they want to feel connected to loved ones. Uh, Instagram is because they don't want to miss out. You know, TikTok is because they, again, they don't want to miss out on trends. Like there's always a negative emotion driving people. If you can find what that emotion is, which is usually seeking connection, you just have to provide it in abundance in your content, which a lot of other people aren't doing. Uh, and it will be like on a, like a non-conscious level, they will be like, I feel so drawn. This is like, the, it's scratching the itch that I had inside me. This is exactly the content that I want to feel when I open the app, not just see. Uh, people think they want to be entertained, but they need to find connection. So if you provide to their needs, that's how you're going to actually find people that latch onto you, which is what every music artist ideally really wants. That's so interesting. Yeah, I love your uh, your perspective on, on really matching you know this like behavioral psychology and, and what you've learned in, in terms of like marketing psychology as well and like matching that with the the messaging uh, for musicians, which I think sometimes is kind of like you know it's challenging, like wondering like how do I kind of connect this this music to some of these kind of common principles. But I think that makes a ton of sense. And in terms of like really narrowing in on you know, on an audience and identifying the right person who the music is for. I think that's just brilliant. Like that, that framework that you have, you know, this song, I wrote this song for 
blank, this group of people who are struggling with blank, you know, if you can figure out a good, like fill in the blanks for that, for, for a specific song, and then you can, you know, specifically target the people who are that group of people who are struggling with blank, that it just makes so much sense. And I think that with the way that, you know, social media algorithms are working basically is it's, it's moving more and more towards personalization and more like towards sharing content that, you know, identifies, you know, based on who we are. And so I just, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's also the way that I think a lot of us do listen to songs, or listen to music. When we get really into a song, uh, like a breakup song, maybe it's because we just went through a breakup, right? And we're struggling with X, Y, and Z. And so I think it makes sense that if you have the intentionality and the clarity to be able to kind of look at your songs and really identify like, you know, who, who is this the best fit for who's going to resonate most with this? And how do I speak clearly to that person so that they can read that and say, Oh, that's me. Like, Oh, that's me. Then if you can make someone go, Oh, that's, that's me. Then it's so hard for them not to just like click and listen to it. Cause, cause it's going to be so like personally, like it's going to speak to them. And you know, all of us, you know, are on this path of self discovery and looking for things that, you can kind of shine a light on, on that. So I think it's really, really interesting. A cool, cool framework. So let's let's dive into the. We talked a little bit about like the lis- listener path, right? So like the was it like four or five steps that you know you, that you see as sort of like a uh, the transformational process for a new listener that turns into a more engaged fan and more builds more of an authentic connection with the artist. What does that What does that path look like? Essentially, uh, yeah, the idea of the listen path came to me because I started to notice uh, the marketing world and businesses have a lot of really handy marketing funnels that uh, are very easy to use for audience segmentation and understanding. You know, people who know marketing will see a listen path and some people say, oh, so it's like an ADA funnel kind of thing. I'm like, not really, because it's a little bit different. It's built for the music industry and it's not built... Uh, a lot of marketing funnels we'll talk about is to build conversions. And when people hear the idea of sales funnels, they think, oh, you know, the free offer, then the higher offer, blah, blah. I guess it's more of a value ladder, but, uh, you know, converging, converting people down the funnel is what you're trying to get people to. So the value ladder aligns with it, but whatever, semantics. But essentially the uh, listen path itself, it measures straight up, uses connection with you as an artist. Uh, if you think of your favorite artists in the world that you would travel out interstate to go see if they were performing, the ones that you feel like have changed your life for the better, the ones you love, that you are likely a cult listener of those artists, the truest of true fans. And the only way to get to that final stage is through connection. The other three stages, which are the first three stages of the listen path, are built on being exposed to content that builds familiarity and builds curiosity. So to take it back to the beginning, you're a brand new cold listener who has never been exposed to an artist before, which is the first stage of the listen part, cold. And you stumble across uh, a piece of content, let's say if they do it the right way, like I'm talking about earlier, that you see a message that you go, oh, I connect with that. That's exactly who I am. You're now curious. You've now transitioned from the cold stage to the curious stage. And that's where you actually start to perform actions. Cold audiences do not perform actions and they do not be like, you can't force anyone to do anything. The harder you try, Newton's third law, you'll be met with opposite resistance. So that's why people will go, oh, no matter how hard I try, people won't do anything. It's like, because that's the whole point. <laughs> that's how it all works. You can't force people, but you can uh, get people to perform actions if you are able to convince them that what you're asking them to do was their decision almost. That they're like, well, I'm choosing to do this, even though you've got, you, you want them to do what you want to do. And that's essentially like persuasion. People have used that unethically, but- I'm only ever talking about ethical persuasion. And you get them curious and curiosity is what drives action. There's been tons of studies that have shown this, like when they hooked up 
the electrodes to the nucleus accumbens in rats' brains and gave them a button that they pressed it and they get stimulated and they ended up, they did it with humans and they end up having to restrain people because people wouldn't give their buttons back. Super unethical, it's crazy. But that goes to show like that when the nucleus accumbens is lit up, we get crazy amounts of reward and feedback loops, except, not so much that, but like people just become so satisfied with pressing that button. And they thought it was the type part of the brain that is delivered like in rats too. It's like when they press the button, they thought it was because it was when the reward came. But it wasn't when the reward came, they found out that it actually lights up in anticipation of a reward, which is why people who win on poker machines, like slot machines, don't aren't actually on a neurological level, aren't as satisfied when they win as they are when they see the real spinning. It's crazy, but it's because the anticipation is so much more of a driver. So when you're in the curious stage, you will perform actions. And when your listeners get to that stage, you just have to capture their attention and fill them with curiosity. You get into that curious stage, they will start to perform actions. And that's when they're checking out things about you. You might find an artist to go back to that example and go, hmm, that sounds interesting. I want to see more. I like that. What else have they got? Oh, that's pretty cool. Blah, blah. Then eventually after enough exposure, remember you're doing all the action. Like if you set up correctly, your listeners will do the actions for you. You won't be saying, please, everyone go check this out. Please click this. They'll just do it because you've built the message correctly and you just keep fueling them with stuff that makes them curious. Not through tacky clickbait, by the way, through authentic messaging. And because clickbait, if there's no good reward on the other side or the anticipation will feel like it was worth nothing. But if there's a little bit of a reward, the anticipation is always worth seeking more of like slot machines. Even if they win a few cents, they'll stay around. Um, Weird, it sounds like I'm talking about ethical persuasion and talking about how to manipulate people with slot machines, but there's been studies that have proven it. There is a separation in my argument. Uh, but then yeah. people will well, start- Let's uh, just out of curiosity, I mean, because I feel like that's a really interesting uh, conversation point that that would mm. be great to like to to address. And, I, and I'm sure that you have like a, a like an interesting perspective on it is, is, you know, in this field of persuasion, right? Which is, I think most people, we wouldn't, we, we think that we have more- agency probably than we do like like we're so interconnected with everything else and, and that's the reason that marketing and advertising exists is because we can literally be like directly influenced by you know by by these ads but when it when we talk about like ethical persuasion versus unethical persuasion and all the things that we're talking about right now what do you where do you think like the line is drawn and you know how can you know we make sure that we're you know using these tools in like a in a way that's best like a win-win for everyone yeah, well, it's such an interesting discussion. I used to think that the line for me personally was that if it's persuasion, it's ethical. If it's coercion, it's unethical. You can't force people to do things. But then I saw someone say, if you know for sure that what you're trying to get someone to do is in their best interest and it will help them, is coercion really that big of a deal? Like if you, and I'm like, damn, this is like talking to a Batman villain because you know that it's not the right thing, but you know, they kind of making a point. You know what I mean? Like, if it is genuinely in their best interest, like Jack Bauer on 24, he'll go against the government to do the right thing to save people. So I'm like, damn, that is so crazy. So the line is much more blurred than I originally thought. But yeah. if you know that what you're doing, you can always stay in the ethical way by using, I mean, a lot of stuff I talk about dives into different biases that we have and how to use them to your advantage. So yes, it's manipulation, but a lot of people consider manipulation to be like a negative thing. Any, everything is manipulation. Like conversation is manipulation because you're trying to get them to understand your side, but the word has been used. If someone is called a manipulator, it's usually for negative reasons, but manipulation is just to manipulation is changing. Um, thoughts and well, we're manipulating and, our mouths right now to make these words come out of our mouths. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, just controlled action, I guess, to look into it, I guess. But anyway, controlling the action probably. But yeah, I, like you can definitely stay in the 
ethical persuasion area by just making sure that what you're doing is never really forcing people to do something because I don't really believe even with the point that I brought up earlier that changed my perspective a bit. I don't think anyone can truly know what they're doing is in someone's absolute best interest. You don't know exactly, even if you're married to someone or living with them or even they're in your family, you don't know them like you know yourself. So you can't ever tell them that you know them better than they know themselves. That's unfair. So you should always be thinking that it's like, you need to lay the breadcrumbs, but it's up to them to follow it. And you have to make sure the breadcrumbs you lay are what they're interested in eating in the first place. You know what I mean? Like you have to know your audience to know that there's no point putting meatballs down if your audience is vegan, like metaphorically speaking. Uh, then you find what attracts them and lead them to where they want to be. But at any time, I mean, there should be, you know, if you ever step into unethical persuasions, a lot of the research I do is into like, um, my fascination by how cults can take this principle and end up using it to destroy people's lives and seeing what they do and like stuff where they do the like deprogramming of people is just insane. If you're at that point where you're telling people to dissociate from their families and that type of thing, then obviously, you know, that you're doing the wrong thing. But as long as you're just a music artist, who's saying to people, I've been through this. If you've been through it too, then you can follow me. They will build that curiosity in the listen path and start to understand uh, why they're in the right place. And they will naturally want to seek more. And if you laid out the right way, People will always assume that there's better stuff around the corner. The grass is always greener. That's why we keep striving for more things. So you don't have to only intentionally release snippets, give good stuff on the front end because people are going to naturally assume there's, if they find more out about you, they'll get more good stuff. So hit them with the best stuff. So they build the most curiosity and build the most connection because if enough exposure of great content that resonates with their internal conversation, they'll move to the third stage of the listen path, which is converted. And that's when they've become a fan of your music. They've made that decision internally. Like I am a fan of that artist. I really like them. And that's where you will have won them over. They won't, might not stay around long-term. You have to get them to cult for that. But as I said, cult transition can only occur through personal connection, curiosity and that type of stuff. It's all great and messaging in that. But the artists that you usually feel the most connected with is because they were able to affect you on an incredibly personal level. You said something really interesting before where you said that we all have our favorite songs because we might've been going through a breakup or something. And we listened to that song a million times and built a personal connection with it. That's why we are such fans of that song was because we built that personal connection. Now, the problem with that for the music artist is that they don't know that you did that and they didn't intend for you. I mean, they had hoped you did that, but they didn't build the framework to influence you to be in the position is when you needed it for that song to be in your life. We stumbled across these songs by chance or because of other external factors and the stars aligned for us. But imagine how great it would be as a music artist if the stars didn't have to align for a person to find your song and like to hear the exact right message in the exact right way at the exact right time. You engineer these scenarios so that when you know people are kind of going through that, you put your song in front of them and you are able to build these crazy cult listeners with much more efficiency. And because the internet is so targeted and yes, although the Apple tracking changes have like all but destroyed Facebook ads and they're one of the best ways to target behavior-based, you know, tendencies of users uh the internet is very good now with algorithms and stuff of putting content in front of the eyes of those that need it based on the other behavior they've gone through which is where you want people to be if people aren't aware of their issue yet you have to educate them on what the issue is and then that you're the solution to that which is eugene schwartz's awareness scale but if uh people are already looking at other similar things online about it the algorithm will go well do you want to see this as well and they're the ones that are like, yeah, I'm aware that I'm going through this and I'm aware that I could benefit from that. And that's what's going to get 
you eventually to that cult stage. And that's why people stay around for far longer, but that's the highest level of fandom. You know, everyone wants those listeners. It's, it's super interesting. Yeah. And you know, to kind of come back to like the ethical and unethical, like it sounds like what, what you're saying is that it's, it's all the honest truth is that none of us really knows for certain, like, like what's good. It's not, none of us have a future, like a crystal ball where we know what's going to happen. So we're all, all you can do is really do the best that you can. And, and what is ethical versus unethical is, is manipulate. We're always manipulating no matter what. But it's about really what are we manipulating towards and what are we, you know, what's the focus? Is our intention to help bring other people up and to help them to move into a better state? And, and that includes all of us, including ourselves. Or is it our intention to mislead someone and to take self-advantage at the expense of other people? Do we feel like there's some, like, the, like if someone else succeeds, there's less for me and therefore I want other people not to succeed, right? Or are we trying, are we using the manipulation or persuasion in a way that's, you know, to really benefit them and, and create, you know, more abundance for everyone? Hmm. That initially comes from what drives you in the very beginning. So much so that in my new book, that is the opening sentence of the book. I say, imagine that there are two sold out venues that uh, you have the chance to, and you have the chance, you have the chance already to perform at one of them. One is an 18,000 capacity stadium. And the other is a room with a thousand people in it. Which one do you choose? Most music artists will choose the stadium, which is fine because you probably should aim for the bigger audience. But what if I told you that the people in the stadium don't really care about you and will likely forget about you in a week or so, while the people in the smaller room are people, a thousand people whose lives you've changed for the better, who have developed an unbreakable connection with you. Which one do you choose now? And I put that question at the start of my book because I say, if you, most music artists will change their answer, but if you don't and you genuinely care more about the stadium, like I use in a footnote, one guy did say to me, you know what? I, to be honest, I just choose the stadium because it's a better Instagram story. I found that funny, but it didn't serve him that well because he ended up quitting music a few months later. But it goes to show if you're, if you're what motivates you, if your motivation from the beginning to use the word in the different way, not the motivation I was referring to before, but if uh, what motivates you is personal desire, then you're never going to be able to build this in the right way. And you probably will step into maybe not deliberate unethical persuasion, but if it is a means to the end of you satisfying your selfish desire, you probably will end up doing that. But yeah, it's important that you find from the beginning that you care more about uh, changing people's lives for the better. And then I say, you can work on filling your stadium, but with the right people this time. And it's not about people. Some people think I'm talking about only caring about small audiences some a lot of music artists do only care about they would love it if they played in front of 100 people each show but all 100 cared about them like not everyone wants to perform to huge like arenas or whatever but even if you want to you can do it you just have to build your audience the right way and that's why the world's biggest artists are able to fill stadiums with people who are obsessed with them it's because they've connected with them on a personal level a great example of that is taylor swift she's done so much personal connection with people like even things like like performing at people's engagement parties completely unpaid, I assume, and like listen, like having listen parties for her album in her own house. Like even if you aren't directly invited, seeing that video allows you to build that connection with Taylor Swift because you know she's that type of artist. It's the reason why Post Malone blew up. He was so personal and was going on Twitch streams and just hanging out with people and just being building real connection with people. And that's why people jump behind him is because at the end of the day, Music is just a weapon of choice where humans at the other end of it and people want human connection. That's all we want. You don't uh, need to like with your messaging too, as you said, you got to lead people to a better future. If you talk about mental health, the goal is to not just bring people in to dwell on their mental health problems. You've got to take them to a better future because that's why people, what people want. Even people 
in the nineties who loved Nirvana because it was just so grunge and depressing. They still at the end of the day, even though they made out that all they wanted to do was wear their mental health at the time, might not have been aware of it, but they were using it as like a badge of honor, like this is who I am. Uh, they still, it was a cathartic experience. It made them feel better to be able to do that. So it's people always want to feel better. So you have to be able to take them there or else uh, it won't work for you either. Yeah, that, that's a really good point too. Cause I, I feel like you know, one of the benefits of music so often is around that kind of cathartic experience where, you know, even just like, and for example, you know, when you wrote that, that album that, that really resonated with people that was authentic and vulnerable and kind of exposed, you know, some of these things that you had been going through, it wasn't like you came out and you just pretended like, you know, like everything is awesome. And like Everything is great. <laughs> Right. But like you like really kind of shown, shown a light on, you know, some of the stuff that in the other example you mentioned, it's like, you know, that, you know, uh, broken, or they say like messiness is beautiful or, or something along yeah, those being lines. Being damaged is beautiful. Yeah. Being, being damaged is beautiful. And I think that there is like a similar, even without necessarily like having a message of like, by the end of the song, by the end of the sad song, all of a sudden they're like, and everything turned out awesome. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Just like, you know, being, being willing to shine a light and to express that and to release it or to, you know, like there's a cathartic experience with, with that, that comes with that. Right. And it is a better state. You know, it's, it's, they're they're feeling, they're feeling better because they're Mm. able to express that. Awesome, man. Well, hey, dude, this is, I love conversations like this. I geek out on this stuff. So thank you so much for taking the time to to be here and to share these frameworks. And for anyone who's uh, listening or watching this right now, who wants to dig deeper and and check out maybe the 4D songwriter and also like, you know, being in touch about this new book, what's the best place for them to go to learn more? Yeah, sure. So you can follow me on Instagram. I admittedly am not that active online because I am so busy working on stuff, but uh, you can follow me and DM me on Instagram. If you want to reach out, hit me up. I'll send you a bunch of stuff. Uh, it's Jason John Evans, but it's J-A-Y-S-O-N John Evans. But uh, you can also find me at IamNorthbound.com. I put up my best content there each week. That's where I dive into. If you like more of the psychology stuff every week, I'm putting up episodes in there where I give the results of the research I'm doing. Like while I'm working on my book, I find a bunch of stuff out and I put it up there first and chat about it and dive into it in depth. Um, That's pretty much it. I'm northman.com and uh, on Instagram. Uh, If you need anything or you want to chat or anything like that, or if you've got questions, I'm happy to help people. I I don't, I'm not a person who's like, I'll only do it if I get paid. So send me a DM on Instagram or an email at Jason, J-A-Y-S-O-N at listenpages.com. And listen pages is essentially just the software that we're looking at building that it uses the listen path, but we're currently moving it to another thing. So you won't find much at listenpages.com or anything at all, but you can email me. But yeah, or DM on Instagram or something, hit me up with whatever questions you got. And I'll be happy to send you a voice note or something back and I'll give you a bit of a bit of help with, with as much as I can do. Super cool. Yeah, man. So uh, like always, we'll, we'll throw all the notes in the show notes so you can get yeah, cool. deeper. And, uh, awesome. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you sharing and looking forward to checking out the book that's, that's coming out. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.